I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Rachel Flavel, who is founder and owner of Paws for Conservation, who work in partnership with ecology companies offering specialist detection dog services on wind farms. So Rachel, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? Very, uh, very well, very well. Very cold, but it is winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite time of year. Yeah. I can wear fat clothes. Oh, do, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm more. I'm more of a. I'm a, I'm a sort of like autumn spring person, uh, which you know, you know, it, that says a lot about. I don't like extremes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess that's the best, best of both worlds, though, isn't it? Because you've got the autumn, it's a little bit cold, but not freezing cold. Yeah. It's also beautiful autumn. It's my favourite time, to be fair. Yeah, I and then spring, it's getting warm, but it's not too warm. So, no, I understand that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, I suppose, like, autumn to me is like, I mean, I, I love the, the, the changing colours of the leaves and, and trees, yeah. and it's, it's fantastic. So it's, a, it's a change. And then spring is hope, optimism. So, uh, you know, yeah. so I'm going to turn it around that way, rather than saying, I'm oh, just my middle-of-the-road person. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. Well, it's lovely to have you on the show. Um, now, um, as we do to all our guests, we do a little quick-fire question session at the start. It's a little icebreaker. There's no right or wrong answers. Um, but it's just to, just to delve into people's mindsets, really, see how they, you know, what they think is their, you know, their first answers. Um, but it's nothing challenging, no right or wrong answers. So with very little preparation, Rachel, are you ready? No. No? <laughs> I'm going to start anyway. <laughs> okay, so the first one's the most challenging question. Okay, I ask it to every single guest. So, um, habitats, species, or ecosystems? It is ecology past after all, so I'm going to mention something about ecology. So, habitats, species, or ecosystems? Species. Excellent. Um, okay, plants or animals? Animals. And birds or mammals? Mammals. Fantastic. There we go. Simple, isn't it? That was okay. That yeah. wasn't challenging. Uh, as long as you don't ask me to elaborate as to why I chose those. Oh, dear. That's my second question. <laughs> oh, flipping heck. Uh, no, no, jo joking. This one, uh, I have to put this in, I'm afraid. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Oh, that's a tricky one, that. No, Is it's it? really not. Dogs. Dogs. <laughs> all day long. Dogs all day long. Okay. And, okay, I'm not going to ask you your favourite dog. No, does that, I don't think you can choose. It's like choosing your favourite child or something like that. But um, have you ever had a favourite dog's name? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, actually, I met a dog once on a walk. Yeah. It was called Elwood. Yeah. And I've never worked or owned a dog, and I've wanted to call a dog Elwood, but the opportunity's never come along because I'm a massive fan of the Blues Brothers. So yes, ah. I would say the best name ever would be Elwood. So I just I think Elwood. I'm going to have to get another dog so I can rename him Elwood. I, I would. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, Elwood. I would then Elwood. I think, yeah, but I have to then go and get a Jake as well. Yeah. <laughs> Jake's <laughs> <it> end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not going to be Fenton then. What's one of that? Fenton. Oh, gosh, Fenton. no, not after that video. No, after that video. <laughs> okay, uh, so next question. Now, this may lead on to, uh, actually, just what you've mentioned. Uh, Favourite or worst film of all time? 
Well, yes, favourite's definitely the Blues Brothers. Oh, worst film. You can just go with that. Just go favourite film. Yeah. I'm, 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 oh, yeah, it was favourite or, wasn't it? Yeah, favourite or. You could tell me your worst favorite. film if you like. Yeah, I'll go with the Blues Brothers. There was something that was terrible the other day. I think I wasted two and a half hours of my life for a terrible ending. And I remember complaining about it for about a week. I can't remember what it was called. So it's completely irrelevant. So we'll just go with the Blues Brothers the as Blues my favourite. Oh, fantastic. I love the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's one, I think it's one of my favourites as well. I mean, I, after that, and uh, I, I go back to Ghostbusters occasionally. I've never seen the Ghostbusters. Oh uh, well, it's it's. I think it was probably of it, you know, of its time. If you go back to it now, you're thinking, oh my word. Anyway, <laughs> let's digress. Uh, I digress. So, and finally, um, best or worst subject at school? Best or worst? Yeah. Okay. Uh, worst was maths, basically yeah. maths. Yes. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Ter- I wouldn't say I had a favourite necessarily. History, maybe. Yeah. But I know it's an or. Oh, sorry, I'm giving you answers to both on these all the time. There's, I say there's no right or wrong answers. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. Yeah, we, yeah, we we can talk about all your subjects at school if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that much. <laughs> I just remember enjoying history and being massively disappointed when I took it in A level and we weren't doing the Tudors. That's all I really cared about. Okay. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for that. I shall. Um, I'll put those into the post. You know, and give you your um, sort of a Myers Briggs uh, score a bit later on then. Okay, look forward to it. Thank Wonderful. You. Okay, so um, my first question to you, Rachel, is uh, my real proper first question to you um, is: you know, how did you get into into, into you know support for conservation? And so, I mean, um, you know, reading your website and, you, and just uh, you started off as a, a kennel assistant. So, just explain to us sort of your route into that profession um, and um, a, a little bit about about you to date, really. Well, it was completely unusual. It's not a normal route. I spent, I left school. I left halfway through my A-levels. Ended up getting a full-time job because I moved out of home at 16. Yeah. No, 18, I'm lying, 18. Um, And worked in Superdrug, basically, as a beauty specialist, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> and however, God, how many years are we in now? I bet very rarely wear makeup anymore. I decided not to do it. But I decided after almost 10 years in retail. Well, actually I went from Superdrug. I was in Superdrug for eight years and decided that I cannot deal with people that much anymore. And I definitely don't want to deal with beauty. It's not mm. really what I want to do. I completely changed my mindset. And I loved animals, grew up with animals, really wanted to work with them, but didn't really know how to yeah. because I hadn't gone to college. I hadn't had a, a qualification that was dedicated to animals. And then I couldn't really afford to do it either because then at that point I had a house. How was I going to afford going back to education as well as paying for a house? So I started volunteering and then the only experience I did have was retail. So I went to Pets at Home and I worked there for two years and because they've got various different programs you can do there. So they've got like an SQP program, which is suitably qualified person, which means that you can sell worming and flea stuff, but it it gives you an opportunity to learn a lot more about dogs, cats generally, yeah, yeah. companion pets, um, nutrition courses and stuff like that. You can also do grooming if you wanted to. So yeah, I got an animal sort of related retail role, then started volunteering at the Cats Protection League, local rescue centers, just to try and gain some experience. And a job came up at a local company um, for a kennel assistant. I did apply for it the first time and wasn't successful. Yeah. So I volunteered doing some more dog work, dog related work, and yeah, managed to get um, the job the second time round. So started off as a kennel assistant there. 
with these absolutely crazy dogs. Everyone's got these ideas that a detection dog is well-trained, obedient dog, but I soon came to realize that they are the complete opposite. <laughs> but I absolutely loved it because to me, that kind of enthusiasm and personality from a dog is exactly what I love. Yeah. Um, and then I quickly progressed to supervisor and then I did an explosives course within the company. And from that, on, well, from there onwards, I then did um, tobacco work and conservation. And that's kind of where my passion lies, as, a, as you've probably read on, on the website. Conservation is just something special. Yeah. So, yeah, I spent then six years handling and out and about all over the country doing explosives work, tobacco and conservation. It was nice to have a bit of variety. And yeah, I just absolutely loved the job. But then 2020 happened, COVID happened, and unfortunately I got made redundant. Hmm. Um, but I had three dogs who already had the qualities that you look for really in a detection dog. And one of them had already been working with me within the company. She was a failed foster dog from them. I looked, I'd fostered her, um, but she had a few issues and they couldn't quite trust her to begin with but I did a lot of work with her so I already had her that I knew she was capable of searching she was a tobacco dog at the time so I repurposed her onto conservation trained my other dog well started training to see how we'd get on and actually realized that they've all got the qualities that we look for in a detection dog so I thought well I've been made redundant I've got no job now my career is completely ended why not just try and go about this myself and here I am wow that's that's not season done do you know that there's there's, there's a lot it's amazing this is there's a lot of similarities between yourself and I um because really? you know I well I left halfway through my A-levels as well ah. yeah yeah um and, and moved out at uh 18 uh, as well and um yeah I, I rather than actually become a uh you know you know I worked in B&Q so you know being worked in B&Q for a bit as well, yeah you? to get the job <laughs> then then um then I sort of, uh, I know it sounds like my show now, but I, know, I, I moved into the, the military, so I was in the army for a bit, um, but including, okay, in the veterinary corps. So right. I was in the veterinary corps, so uh, we did, you know, dog handling. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, uh, that says, I'm uh, glorifying it there, sorry. Uh, kennel assistant, <laughs> uh, I was a kennel assistant too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't quite make the dizzy heights of dog handler though, you know, so I became a veterinary nurse, veterinary technician. Uh, to be point. honest, there's a lot of people now that are doing dog handling as such. And I think your better handlers are the people that have really worked in the kennels. I think until you've mm, worked in a kennel yeah. anyway and really appreciated and cared for those dogs and the fundamentals of what they need, then you wouldn't be a dog handler anyway. Yeah. You should, well, you, I, don't, I don't think you'd truly appreciate what, what's expected. So you can come and join me then if you like. You've done the basics. No problem. No problem. That's I'll, get, I'll get my lead out. Get my lead. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll buff up the lever bit on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic. So um, just have you back. So you know, obviously it's, it's a bit like, like, you know, if life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So, you know, you've, you've, gone, you've, you've experienced this redundancy in 2020. And so, I mean, explain to me the, the sort of thought process of actually setting up this company. Was it something that was a natural you were thinking of it before, you know, shaking your head. So natural thinking before, or was actually something actually, you know, you actually give it a lot of thought and then maybe someone convinced you to do it? Um, it was sort of accidental. I mean, obviously the thought of it had crossed my mind, you know, uh, why couldn't I do it? But I have to say, I mean, the company that I worked in, it did kind of wear me down a little bit, making me believe that perhaps I couldn't do this. I didn't have much confidence in myself at the end of it. Um, but I've got a good group of friends who I've met through this company. Um, 
who supported me. And it just kind of happened by accident. Like, yes, the thought was there, but did I ever really think it would take off? Not really. But that was probably due to lack of confidence. It kind of happened, like I say, by accident. I'd Throughout all of the years of working with various ecologists and different companies, yes. I'd formed quite good relationships with them. And there was one in particular, I'd spent three, three to four years working on a wind farm with them. And I just let him know. I just sent him a message and said, oh, I won't be seeing you this year. I've been made redundant. And he couldn't believe it. And then that kind of was just, we were just, we were just having a conversation and, and, uh, and he said, oh, you're thinking of doing it yourself. And I was like, oh, I'm not too sure. Maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm looking at it at the minute, but I, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden his wife, who's also an ecologist, emailed me and she said that they've got work coming up local to me. Would I be interested in doing it? And then I thought, well, this is the opportunity that I've got. So mm. then it was all guns blazing, trying to basically run a business and realize all the things, well, well, understand what I've got to do. So websites, you know, emails, insurances. And so, yeah, I, I took a crash course basically uh, over the internet and figured out everything that I needed to get, to get what I needed to get this business up and running, risk assessments. So with lots of help from family and friends, yeah, I managed to, to pull it off. And I think it's mainly just down to a message that I happened to just send to somebody to let them know I've been made redundant. Yeah. Had I have not done that, would I be in here now? Possibly not. It's 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 a uh, you know I I, I, really, I think that's it's, it's highly admirable because I, I think you can see that a lot of businesses are born out of a necessity really. So yeah. either necessity that as in um, you know they need someone needs to get a job and they become a freelance uh, you know whatever it is a freelancer uh, or set their own company up. So I mean it must have been a, a really steep learning curve for you then. Oh, absolutely, and it still is. It still is. I mean trying to gauge how many dogs you need, for example, how many people you might need, because I did need help this year, but I'm still not in a position really that I could take on somebody full-time to, to ask them to leave, say, a full-time job to give them a salary. That's not mm. that's not a position mm. I'm in at the moment. I am looking for another dog, um, but then you you don't really know what you're going to get work-wise. You might have a house full of dogs with no work, but you've still got to pay for yeah. And you don't get paid for training your dogs. You know, training doesn't make money. The money comes from the work. And the thing is, for me, I don't really want to have a huge company. That's not what I'm aiming for. I just want to do what I love, and that just be my my job, but enough to pay the bills, really, and to look after my dogs and also make a change. I think that's why I've picked conservation because it is so special. Mm. You actually are making a difference. It's not all about just making as much money as possible. Because we're in, we're in doing a research project as well at the moment, and that's not paid, but it's just fascinating, you know. Um, so where does this where I mean, where's this passion come from? So you know, you, I mean, it just sounds like you know, obviously you're an extremely curious person, you know, you, go, you know, wanting to find out a lot more about whatever subject you're 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 pursuing. But um, you know, that research element, and um, you know, there's quite a lot of risk in everything you're doing there. So are you what sort of where, where does that risk sort of um, uh, or lack of fear come from because you mentioned about fear before but um, I suppose it's a different amount of fear different but degree. again I just think I did, I did pretty well this summer this season was really really busy so I can sit on a little bit of money now because I'm not working at the moment I'm not getting it but well, I've got I've got a couple of winter searches but not really enough but I've, I've got enough to kind of sit on I think that the conservation world and dogs in particular has got to constantly evolve right. um and if it's just about doing the basics and just getting as much money as possible, we're never really going to get anywhere. I, just, I think it's 
again, I'm still stuck in that stage of it's now or never. If I was truly serious now and just thinking seriously all the time, I think I need to make this and I need to make this and I shouldn't do that. There's too much risk. Then what's the point? I, I think mm -hmm. I've given myself in my head about really thinking about it, maybe a couple of years to play around. It works or it doesn't work. But I think with conservation particularly, and as well in the UK, it's still quite new. Um, we have to push those boundaries. We have to try different things um, because there's still species out there that dogs could definitely help, yeah. which is what I'm kind of doing at the minute, but the, the current methods are not working. So I'm all for trying different methods. It works or it doesn't. We, you, you, um, uh, you're obviously not going to get paid for it, but if it does work, imagine then what we can do, you know? Um, so yeah, I think I'm still stuck. And, and again, I think it's just a strong family unit that I've got though, that I know that will help me. I've got a safety net if it does all fall and fail. I haven't, so for now I'm still in the very early stages of just trying different things. Wow. Absolutely. And I've got the bats and the birds hmm. are the baseline, great crested newts are the baseline. I know that I can do that and I can do that well. So now I'm looking at different things that I can try that might work, might not work, that won't really be paid, but I'd rather be that company that wants to actually help and not just be a huge empire to make yeah. as much money as possible. Um, I want to do it because actually I love it. I love handling dogs. I love learning about the different species. I love being outdoors, which is why I'd pick tobacco, uh, not tobacco, that's why I picked conservation as opposed to any other discipline that I did. It's just fascinating. But yeah, I think I'm still maybe in a bit of a dream world, perhaps. <laughs> I'm just trying different things and haven't really got that fear yet. Well, I think, you know, I think you drive driven by your passion, isn't it, really? And I, and I must admit, I mean... Um, I'm, I'm sure you know the great name pause for conservation you know uh, I, I just I mean I keep I keep mentioning it I keep saying it to myself you know pause for conservation and it's it fits into both those camps doesn't it you know that's a you know reflective in terms of um, exactly. you know yeah. the ecology part or the you know, conservation part and then obviously you know pause the dog, dog part, pause yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. what's stuck like should it be pause as in pause like you say or should yeah. it be pause as in dogs I'm not sure but it seems most appropriate as it's I'm specialising with dogs to be pause but as you say it it could mean either or so yeah definitely a, I mean it's a brilliant name I, I, I yeah I, uh, if I was coming up with a, a company name that, that would be it yeah it you've nailed it a while. that's it <laughs> <laughs> it's taken now. I wrote out. a couple down. I wasn't yeah. sure about it to begin with. And then I wrote a few different ones down. I was sending them out to everybody. Yeah. And what do you think? What do you think? And everybody loved that. And I was like, well, that's it then. That's it then. Yes. Yes. Consensus. Yep. Oh, now, I'll tell you what I'm really interested in is, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you won't be giving out any sort of secrets at all. But uh, in terms of, you know, training your dog, sort of you know, like how long does that take? What dog, you know, is there, is there a breed of dog that, you know, is it better than another dog? Um, is it the handler that's the most important part of it? Um, so, yeah, so yeah, just take me, you know, from where you get your dogs from, you know, and also um, the, the sort of um, training aspect of, of um, for, to, to get okay. them into like a tobacco or uh, Great Crest Newton sort of um, Well, to be honest, you're looking for similar qualities of any detection dog, um, but it might just, depending on what discipline it is and you're going down, as in what species you're going to imprint them on, you might, you, you're looking for different, different qualities in the dog. So with any detection dog, Ideally, you want a dog that's busy and has a toy drive, so preferably a tennis ball. Now, I always used to say it doesn't really, really matter if they want a toy or they want food. It's fine. We can work with both. But now having um, three dogs that are toy-driven and a Cocker Spaniel, the naughty one, that's food-driven, yeah. I much prefer a toy-driven dog. <laughs> it makes life a hell of a lot easier. So, yes, you can still work with a dog that wants food as a reward, but 
it does just make it that little bit more difficult. It also comes across, well, it, it develops its own problems in the field because your dog then is anticipating food coming in, which means that they salivate naturally um, and they might then contaminate a sample. Mm-hmm. So you would yeah. need to maybe train a different reaction, so a different kind of indication so they're not over the bat, for example, so they're not dribbling all over it or trying to lick it. Because at the end of the day, we are just still dealing with dogs. So as amazing as they are, they are still animals. Um, so yeah, you're generally looking for a drive of some sort and I want to search. Um, and you want a dog with a very, well, some sort of independence, but also the willing to listen to the handler as well, not completely cloth-eared and not doing their own thing. <laughs> as regards to breeds, I personally prefer Spaniels, Springer Spaniels, um, but to be honest, any breed, as long as the dog has a long enough muzzle, so you're not, you know, you're not looking at a French bulldog that's going to struggle to breathe. It's not going to really cope very well out in the field. It's also not really bred to search. Yes. But I mean, there's plenty of crossbreeds out there now that still have quite a squash muzzle. You would probably avoid that. So you get like a lot of rock file across Labradors. People have thought about those before, but again, you might be limited with their with their muzzle. But generally, you just want a dog that's that's not afraid to go in water, mud brambles you know tall vegetation not too much of a fairy walking on hard stand because we've come across that before oh god it's too hard on my feet i don't want to do this no. um so generally i mean when you're testing a dog if they've got the the reason why as well you want a ball driven dog is because you can really test its determination enthusiasm with that you know you can chuck a ball into the thickest load of vegetation and what you're what you, what you want from that dog is him to not give up so he's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. You don't want a dog after five minutes and can't find it, looks at you and be like, doesn't really matter, I'll go and do something else. Because that dog isn't going to work, work all day for you if he doesn't want that ball enough. Because at the end of the day, that is what they're working for. Whereas me, I'm working for wine and Doritos. <laughs> yeah, that's a slightly different, uh, yeah. Yeah, different treats. But the dog just wants that tennis ball. So if he doesn't <laughs> want it enough to try and find it, then he's not going to work for you all day. So that's what you're looking for really in a dog at the very first stage um as regards to procuring them um it depends yes. a lot of people and me me included i would prefer to rescue if, if i can but that comes with its own problems it depends on the dog it depends on the time see the company that i came from it was easier because they're in a kennel environment um they're not living in a home and you've got various ways that you can kind of you haven't got to worry about them destroying your house so i took on my first rescue last year and it has been hard work because she has no recall so Hmm. it's all very Hmm. well you think to yourself that's fine i can work on this and i can work on that when you've got three other dogs that you've got to maintain train and work and then you've got this other dog that needs recall training and various other types of training how much time you thought you had so again though but but there is a lot of rescue dogs out there that would fit the bill i'm currently looking at another one now so fingers crossed um but other than that they generally come from a home-to-home kind of environment so yeah somebody that's got a cute little spring spaniel puppy or a labrador puppy and they decided that oh my god i cannot deal with this dog it's insane yes and they sell it so you obviously just go and assess and you buy from somebody else and then there's people out there that breed specifically for this kind of thing oh, so right. you are kind of, kind of guaranteed that mm. maybe because they they bred this dog for drive and purpose and they'll usually be a little bit older and you can kind of get a good feel so you're looking at a dog ideally from six months onwards so you can get a good idea the problem with buying a puppy is stig was a puppy the cocker he loved the toy to begin with and then come six months he wasn't interested anymore so you could buy a puppy it looks great when it's a pup yeah but then you get to eight months and actually 
the personalities change completely and then you've got a dog that might not work. And this is my problem as a business mm-hmm. because I probably fail on this side of things because I live in a house and not living in a kennel. I won't put them in a kennel. I'm going to end up with a house full of dogs that don't work at this rate <laughs> <laughs> if I carry on looking at anything and everything. So, yeah. You'll get, you'll get um, that reputation of saying it's that dog woman up the road. You know, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to be, I'll be single because of it, probably. I've only got a two-bedroom bungalow. I've <laughs> already got one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I need to be careful. And obviously, I've got two dogs that are a little bit old now when they retire. I'm not going to be home though. Like my dogs are my family. I'm mm-hmm. not that business minded that I'm just going to get them in. They're not just a tool for me to use and then we home. Um, but that's just me. I'm not saying there's anything necess- You know, if you're a huge company, you can't be expected to keep a load of older dogs in a kennel environment. It's actually nice for them to go to a home. Um, so yeah, that's, but, but again, like I say, breed wise, Labradors, um, German pointers and your spaniel mixes generally tend to be the most popular breeds to use. And when it comes to different um, species, again, you so we're moving on to great crested newt, and I've chosen dogs that I know are a little bit steadier. So your bats and your birds, you're doing transects, wide area. Your crazy spaniel can move about nice and quickly. Then they generally use the wind to scent, so it's not too bad. Um, if they're rushing around and it's obviously all about time, but with great crested newt, you need a little bit of a steadier pace, you need them a little bit calmer. Um, so you, you're looking for a different kind of dog. You don't really want a crazy dog that can't sit still for two seconds for great crested newts. And then we're doing water ball at the minute. So you're going to need a dog that's happy to go into dense vegetation and heavy cover. And um, so again, your spring look is good for that. Yeah. So yeah, the more, when you're deciding what you're putting your dogs onto, Again, you might be looking for different attributes in that dog. Because um, I know for a fact that Max wouldn't be suitable with great crested newts probably because he's just insane and he couldn't possibly bear the thought of slowing down for more than a minute because he could be missing out on something. Gosh, so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of what you're looking for. What so, but again, yeah. Labradors are quite good for that. They've got a nice pace about them. But some labs tend to avoid certain areas or then they can get a little... It depends on the Labrador. It depends on the breeding as well, but... I definitely prefer spaniels. Yeah, we, I, we have a Labrador, and uh, as soon as you mentioned tennis ball, I was thinking, yeah, it doesn't go for that. <laughs> doesn't oh, does go. Not? We'll not go for that at all. Yeah, oh, hard wow. surfaces. It's... Yeah, it's like Bambi on ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Oh, we, no, she's awful. She's a lovely dog. I mean, we love her yeah. to bits, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's definitely not uh, over. You know, I mean, you, around here, you know, you see a lot of Labradors because I think a lot of them are gun dogs. You know, there tends yeah. to be a lot of shooting going on around where, where we are. Um, um, you know, yeah, obviously for game birds, um, you know. yeah, but um, in terms of um, where's I going with this? Oh, yeah, so talk about your so you know, your typical so once your dog's trained, obviously in this magical training period, fully trained or no, obviously a lot <laughs> ongoing experience, but um, what does what you know, what does that day look like? Say you're taking out, um, you know, uh, uh, um, one of your dogs for a, a day's work, how do you prepare? What's that like on site and, um, you know, how long are those days or evenings, nights? They're generally days. You start very, very early in the morning. Um, to be honest, with regard, just touching upon the training as well, I find that most of the experience in training, once you've done the initial stages, most of the training is then actually out in the field. Um, you come across issues then and that's when your training really, really comes into play. At the imprinting stage is quite easy for bats and birds, not great crested newts. Right. But we'll talk about bats and birds because that's mainly what I've been doing. So yeah. they are carcass searches for wind farms. Um, 
I'm sure everyone's aware, but obviously the reason being, you know, the casualties from, from wind energy. And dogs are much quicker and more efficient, particularly finding bats um, than people and human searches. So the day usually consists of getting up at a ridiculous time in the morning or even midnight. Depends on where you're going. Um, but you, the idea is to get there for sunrise. Um, and that is to beat scavengers. Scavengers, yeah. Um, so you'd get up. You'd, depends on who you are, but me, I do feed my dogs twice a day, which means that I've then got to get up extra early to make sure they've had enough time to digest their food before they work. Um, but a lot of dog companies or dog people, they feed them once a day. But I think if I try to do that with my dogs now, they'd never forgive me. <laughs> so they get fed twice. I feed them in the morning. Oh, no, sorry, I'm lying. I go for a big, long walk first. Feed them in the morning. And then feed them when we get back. Sorry, feed them when we get back from the walk. Drive to wherever it is we're going. I'd exercise them again. Uh, you've got the whole logging onto site and wind farms. Naturally, it takes about 40 minutes to get from the actual road to the first turbine, usually. Um, right. Then, yeah, well, you you just park up to decide which dog you're going to use, basically. So harness is involved, and you start at the base of the turbine. Again, depending on the vegetation, um, you might split the turbine into two, as in um, use a dog on one half and use another dog on the other half. Um, also, depending on the weather, if it's really, really hot, you'd break it up for them. But And again, it depends on the dogs on what their limitations are with working and knowing where their threshold is. Can they work anymore? Or is 20 minutes too, is 20 minutes enough? Or can they can they work 30 minutes, 40 minutes? But again, you, you'll know your dog. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'll start at the base of the turbine, start doing transects. Generally, they're 100 meter squared. So 50 meter transect down and then back up. And you'll just work up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, if your dog, the dog's generally working ahead of you, can be on lead, can be off lead. Again, it depends on the client's wishes. So if there's livestock around, I will always work my dog on a lead. Um, regardless of how I think my dog will or won't react, mm -hmm. um, the dog is going to be on lead if there's livestock close. Um, and again, if, if I don't know where the risks are here, or there's any danger, or any dip, ditches or cliff edges, you just don't know, then the dog will be on a lead. Um, but it is easier if they're off if you've got thick vegetation i find because you're getting wrapped up in it quite a lot so you need to have line skills for that so yeah you go up and down hopefully or not hopefully depends really you, your dog at some point will indicate you will then flag the find reward well reward the dog flag the find we mark it gps locate can i just go back slightly just slightly Rachel. So, so yeah yeah in terms of i mean uh, there's a couple of questions just scream out to, to me at the moment so um the one obviously you said about thick vegetation so i mean i'm, I mean, I'm i've seen a couple of pictures on your website now but you know so protection for the dogs then so you know what, um do all dogs need sort of these you know protective devices and what are they not really. I mean, it depends on the dog and it depends if they're accident prone. Max wears Rex Vets goggles, but that's because he's a walking vet bill. <laughs> um, none of my other dogs have actually needed it. But saying that, if I was going, if you're working in vegetation that you know is going to cause harm to your dog's eyes, then yes, um, I would get PPE basically for them. Yeah. But in all my years of searching, I've never really worked somewhere that would require such high PPE. Max purely wears his because he is a disaster and his yeah, eyes are right. ridiculously huge. Yeah. Um, whereas the other dogs have never had an issue. But again, I put they do wear boots occasionally. And mm -hmm. um, if you've got a lot of hard stand or a lot of rough ground or you're not too sure on the shop, some of them are slate, slate ground as well, so they wear boots for that. Um, 
But as well, I mean, if something's really dangerous looking, I just wouldn't put my dog in there. So as much as we're there to help and we're an asset, we're, you know, we're an extra tool to help, I'm still not going to put my dog at any risk that's unnecessary, really. So if there's thick brambles, I'm not going to send him into really, really thick yeah. brambles. I just work around it in the hope, of, well, against the wind as well. So if he is indicating or giving me something, something in there, I would rather go in there than send my dog in there. Um, and, and the other question I ask is, uh, you know, you mentioned about signalling. So what is that? What does it look like? I mean, how do you know your dog's signalling? So that's something you teach in the early stages, call it an indication. And again, this varies massively. I've recently done a post on it because generally what people imagine an indication to be is a sit, freeze and stare. And it looks fascinating. It's amazing. <laughs> and we all then have this aspiration. We want all our dogs to look like that because it's so impressive. But then actually being out in the conservation world and doing it, you realize that if I had taught that indication, my dog isn't going to be able to give me that reaction because of where the scent is. So you, my dog isn't going to want to sit and stare on a load of nettles, for example, yeah. and then wait for me. Because if they're working, they could be 20 meters ahead of me. And then you, I'm expecting them to wait that time. And it's mainly done in explosive work. And it makes sense as to why it's done in explosive work. You need that dog to be a statue. And you spend a lot of time ensuring that. But it's not really necessary in conservation. So for me, I let the dogs decide what their indication is. So when you start off training, I'll just give you a bit of a basic, a bit basis of how we start, how I start anyway. And it works every time. Breeze blocks generally. Put the bat, we'll use a bat for an example. Put it in a... Uh, cage of some sort put a tennis ball on top if your dog's driven for a tennis ball your dog's searching for a tennis ball every time he retrieves that tennis ball he's inhaling the scent of the bat without really realizing it so you just keep repeating repeat 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 and then you remove the tennis ball so when the dog comes across the bat he's going to have some recognition that oh these tennis balls usually with this smell why is it not now and then you'll get that split second of confusion from the dog while he's looking at it but it's mm. what you quickly throw in the ball and that's where it comes from you jet you very very slowly then build up that freeze and that weight and then you'll move on to something else so you'll put it in a different area and so on you kind of start from there with an indication but yeah. i don't force a sit i don't force a line i don't force a freeze i bet the problem is people like the dogs to stare at the scent and when they start looking at the person it's generally because of bad rewards as in you throw the ball in and you hit the dog on the head that's what causes your dogs to be looking and turning at you. Um, but again, it doesn't, I don't mind if the dogs stare at me as long as they are sitting or, or lying or standing and they're with that scent and they're yeah. waiting for me. It, it really doesn't matter to me. I will throw the ball and basically feed it into their mouth. Because that then as well, throwing a ball in on a scent isn't a good idea anyway with conservation because your dog's then going to run after the ball, potentially tear up the ground. The bat's going to go flying. I do teach a pinpoint, so I ask them to show me because more often than not, I have rewarded them. And then I'm like, where the hell is that bat? I can't see it again now. Mm -hmm. So you have to take the ball off. I'm asking to come back in and show you again. But ideally, you don't want to be throwing a ball into an area like that because you're just going to cause them. If it's a live animal, like a great crested newt, your dog could tear that newt up and flick it across the ground, which isn't ideal. Not ideal, so no. I generally keep, yeah. <laughs> so I'll feed the ball into the mouth. So that, so that is their response. So that's their indication. And that's a fundamental part of a detection dog they have to be able to give you that because that's the whole reason for them being there is because we can't see it because us humans are inferior don't you know we can't see all these so we need the dogs to be showing us exactly where it is and we need to be able to read it obviously some dogs give a subtle change of behavior and they might move on and this has happened but you'd want to go back to that and that's where i've said before that the training continues so 
Iggy Dog hasn't indicated, why hasn't he indicated? Mm. Let's go back and train while we're here and reinforce what um, the indication that you want, basically, from the dog. So, great. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you for that. So, yeah, yeah. indication, not signaling. There we go. But it just, <clears> the <throat> thing is, it doesn't really matter. Reaction, indication, signaling, but generally it's called an indication, indication. in the dog world, yeah. Okay, so sorry, yeah, uh, thank you for that. So in terms of then, okay, you, you know, your dog's, uh, you know, you, coming towards the end of the working sort of um, day. So uh, I mean, yeah, so we taking it back now that they're still, you know, uh, you know, undertaking the search on your site. Um, is there a? I mean, obviously, you imagine that's once you've cleared the area, and that's the end of your day, is it? I mean, what do you do at the end of the day with the, with, with with the dogs? Well, you would do. We generally do about eight turbines a day. So we have at least two dogs with us, so they rotate. Um, so yeah, starting at the crack of dawn, you're aiming, especially because obviously the bats and the birds, is, well, the bats is in the summer summer season. So you want to be finished before midday when it gets really hot. Um, but in between, you would you maybe have to break your dogs, walk them, um, just to give them a bit of free time because people think that a working dog, they're getting all their exercise from working, but that's not their own free time to go and sniff and do whatever they want. They are working. Um, but generally, I can get it all done. I, I spent the summer taking the three dogs around, mainly because Stig was still in training. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as soon as we're done, we've obviously collected all our carcasses. We've spoken to the ecologist. Um, I'll just take the dogs for another walk. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess when you envision it, you're probably just thinking, oh, it's a nice, easy job. You're done and dusted. But it, it never stops with dogs. So you, you'll walk them. You'll get back to the hotel. And then it's you'll spend a good hour, depending on how many dogs you've got, a good hour per dog going over ticks, brushing, checking them over for any cuts and whatnot. By the time you've done that, I'd probably take them for another walk as well. Mm -hmm. um, they'll get fed at some point, and then we're all just going to go for a nap yeah. for at least an hour <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's generally just constantly making sure, really, the welfare of the dogs. Again, I don't leave them in the vehicle, so they come into the hotel with me, so I need to make sure that they're relaxed and they've got things to do. So, yeah. Welfare afterwards um, takes a long time as well. And walking afterwards, you know, the day doesn't end at midday. They still need toiletting, walking, feeding, caring for. So, and then we do it all again. All again. The next day. Yeah, repeat. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so um, you, you mentioned about, um, I mean, uh, you know, Great Gresson Newts. Um, is, that's a relatively new one. Is, is it um, in the last couple of years for Great Gresson Newts? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, myself and Aaron, who I mentioned, mm. don't think I mentioned his name before, but he's one of my closest friends um, and pretty much trained me every, well everything that I know is from him well him well we both in our previous company trained the first two great crested new dogs um, the scientifically tested ones with Atkins um, so Arnie and Rocky and yeah Aaron did all of the testing and went out in the field and proved the concept really but even then it's not it's not it's not a complete product we're not completely happy yeah. um, it's still developing there's a lady out at the moment you've probably seen a, a Nikki Glover with the amphibian dogs and Freya she works at Wessex Water and she's just incredible like she's going above and beyond to prove you know to doing depth depth perception with the great crested newts um so I've got a lot to learn from her and I speak to her quite a lot so me and Aaron are going to do great crested newts this time around the license is pretty much sorted and yeah I think it's going to be ongoing to prove really how mm -hmm. how efficient they are. They can definitely help. They can definitely do it. It's just doing it the correct way. And there's people out there at the minute. Some it's quite scary that some people are rushing this through, and it's not. It's still not even a complete product. Whereas we know now with bats and birds, we've 
got a good mythology yes. methodology sorry um we know what works and what doesn't work um so that's fine but great crested newts is still still so new and you've got to be so careful and the problem is you bats and your birds for your trading you can just throw a carcass out and it's not going anywhere it's there mm-hmm. whereas a great crested newt is alive is a live animal so someone's you've got to for training it it requires so much more to the people out there that are leaving it in tins and what that means is when that dog's now out operationally they're looking for a great crested newt in a tin mm, so when yeah. they come across a great crested newt that's not in a tin chances are they're going to ignore it um so yeah we wouldn't do that we would to begin with but you'd eventually have to move on from that stage um i suppose that's, good. that's the challenge isn't it really so you know you, you know that's a, yes it's it's, it's, a, it's all right dealing with you know contained uh, animals yeah. but actually you know live wild animals yeah. um that, that's going to be you know obviously the next sort of level really so i yeah. mean who 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 are you so the people you need to i say convince i mean obviously you need to convince yourselves um but also i mean is it regulatory bodies like natural england that's um yes. yeah it is yeah, yeah so it's natural england but it's well natural england are all for it at the moment they you know they, they recommend the use of protection dogs um with the help of the presence and life health and surveys of great crested newts um but again i don't think they fully understand what needs to be done because you do need a live newt to do it there's not really any other way of doing it the risks of say for example training on a dead great crested newt you've just got another carcass dog and what we find with the bat dogs is they'll show interest in anything that's dead after doing it for so long you often wonder whether it's the bat that they're on or is it just the smell of death <laughs> Because they do, they, they can find, honestly, after, if, if we've done four turbines with no fines, I mean, I do take what you call sweeteners out, so I'll, I'll take my own bat because I don't want my dogs to work a whole day without a chance of a reward. And that can happen. You can spend weeks and weeks and weeks searching, you won't find anything, which is great for the animals, but it's not great for the dogs. And they're not getting paid for it then. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find that they, once they start to think, oh, God, I'm not finding anything here, that, you know, that they will change and they will find the smallest little wasp, a bee, uh, yes, they won't indicate because they know that it's not their target scent, but they'll kind of look at it to say, well, let's do, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the prob- the risks with Great Crested Newt using, uh, which has been mentioned, a dead Great Crested Newt is if you're doing a presence or likely absence survey and you can't disturb the area because you're working over the winter period and your dog indicates because there's something dead there, that's it. Work stops. You can't do anything because you're saying that the Great Crested Newt there, when actually it might not be. It could be a beetle. So you need, and, and again, people are talking about swabs, uh, swabbing great crested newts or using, but it, you don't know how long that lasts for. Mm-hmm. You've also mm-hmm. then got the swab material that's involved in, the, in that. It's such an important, and it costs, the whole point of using dogs is it's supposed to be cost effective, but you could potentially stop works. It could cost millions if you mess up or do it wrong. Right. So you have to have a live great crested newt, but trying to get a license from Natural England to do so quite tricky yeah so it's taken us quite a long time we we are there it's just the hibernation season but Mm. yeah it is it is tricky with any live animal it's very very tricky on how you've got to make sure that you're caring for that animal it's welfare you've got to think it's welfare as well but also not influencing your dog um because you have to keep an eye on that newt but if you're constantly standing by where the target is and the dog will soon learn that wherever the human's standing is where the newt is so we've got a few ideas um 
and we've got a few training sites. We're working alongside Atkins. We're really, really grateful for that because Aaron also has got a class one license. Well, don't ask me to ask. Questions. Oh, yeah, so we're in natural England. Yes. Yeah, which yeah, means right. that you can handle them. So it's really helpful. That means mm. that we can go out to sites where we know there is nukes, Atkins' own sites, and we can actually train on nukes. We haven't got to worry because they're not our own captive nukes. So it doesn't matter. We're actually going to go out. We can see if the dogs indicate or not. And Aaron is able to check if they were right or they were wrong, which is something that nobody else can do other than Wessex Water at yeah. the moment. So we're really excited about it. And hopefully we can produce some really, really good dogs for next year. Absolutely. You know, no, it's, 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 I think it's an, an, it's an amazing um, technique. You know, uh, it's another, yeah. another sort of um, tool within our toolbox. So um, you mentioned about obviously training the dogs and, and in training the trainers, uh, really. So, I mean, um, I imagine that's, um, you know, I mean, you mentioned about, um, you know, a couple of people who trained you up when you were a kennel assistant doing, you know, different type of work. And now you, you obviously with your own company and working with um, with Aaron. And was it Anita Glover, do you say? Uh, Nikki Glover. Nikki, Nikki Glover. Glover. I think there's yeah. a, there is an Anita Glover, but uh, I'm sure she <laughs> yeah. does something different, does it? Yeah. So Nikki Glover. So, yeah, I mean, is it a close-knit community? Do you share sort of training and, um, you know, results and so forth? And how, how do you train yourselves? Um, is it close-knit? Uh, there's a bit of a division. It's still quite new, though. There's not many people out there, really, that are operating do. There's a lot of ecologists that want to, that are interested in it now. Me, Nikki, and well, Nikki trained with Louise from Conservation Canine Consultancy. So I speak to those those pair quite a lot. Um, and we do discuss it all. Training-wise, I think once we've kind of been, it's just development then. Mm-hmm. So Aaron trains me and we're learning as, as we go out. So I don't have a trainer, so to speak. But again, it's not really a regulated industry, which is what the worry is now. I'm not really that interested in training other people. I prefer animals, why I left retail. But I'm, I'm, I would be happy to work alongside people to help develop their skills. Yeah. Um, generally, the training for me is the results I get. So when we're out as well on site, we get what we call efficiency tests. So the ecologists come out or the um, wind generator, the, the wind generator companies, and they will place out carcasses and I won't know how many or where they are. Then we'll start searching and we find we do what we don't find the carcasses. And that to me is telling me what I do or don't know about these dogs. If, if I do miss one, they'll give me the GPS coordinates. I'll go and have a look. And maybe there's a reason that dog didn't get that. That's something I need to work on. So that's kind of how I train myself. And I'm constantly learning. Like just this year with the little cocker spaniel, he's been a disaster. But he wasn't a disaster, <laughs> but he was to begin with. I rang Aaron and I'm like, I'm, I'm retiring him. I can't do this. But then he just developed something clicked. And yeah. again, that's me developing as a handler. It never, ever ends. You just learn more and more each day. So whilst I haven't got somebody specifically mentoring me, I'm learning myself and the results speaks for it. The results speak for themselves with, with the work that I do. Um, with regards to anybody getting, getting into it, I think that's it. You just need to kind of find the basis and go from there and speak to as many people as you can and get as much experience as you can because everyone's, every single person has got something else to offer their own experience and you'll learn you'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and kind of put it all together that makes sense yeah i mean absolutely i think do you think there is a worry you know are you concerned i should have put it then that there will be people entering into this realm you know I say not trained, but certainly yeah. the, the, the you know their the, you know the their dogs certainly w- won't be trained to a higher standard because it's not regulated. Is, is that a genuine concern for yourselves? 
definitely. It is a massive concern because I think everybody likes the idea. So on social media, it looks like a dream mm, world. You mm. don't often post the bad. I do try to be quite balanced with it, um, but it's not. So the idea is now like a lot of ecology companies want to have a dog unit, which is fine. It would make absolute perfect sense, but I don't really think that they've realized how are they going to do CT? How is, and what happens if they've only got one dog, for example, and that dog is then injured and they've got all of this work and they haven't thought about using an external company, you know, who's training the dog when they're not working, they've still got their own job as an ecologist, for example, but even if they're not an ecologist, it's just, just anybody. Yeah. Like I understand dogs, but I'm still, it's still stressful knowing how many dogs I need. I need to make sure that I don't let a client down. Um, I can't have a dog that's injured. If I have got a dog that's injured, I need to be able to have a replacement dog come in. But then I've taken on this work as well. How am I going to do that? How can I commit to all of this? Um, and yeah, just generally, people with pet dogs that think that their dog can sniff something. Like I, well, I've asked about quite a few dogs recently, as in um, assessing them and asked people to send me videos, especially if the dog's further away. And everyone's, I've, I can't, I haven't got the heart to tell them because they're mm -hmm. so pleased that their dog's got an amazing nose. Watch, and they'll go and walk somewhere and place out a sample of something. And then walk back, send the dog out, and the dog goes and finds it straight away. And they're like, see, look how amazing he is. But really, that dog's just cracked that person. Yeah. This is what the worry yeah, is. The people yeah. are out there thinking that they, they've got a dog that mm -hmm. can do this. They're wooden. So I think it's a, it's, it's a joint collaboration. The dog has to be well-trained, professionally trained. But the human also has to be able to read that dog. Because that dog isn't always going to do what you think it's going to do. And imagine... So you, sorry. No, sorry. Carry on. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say... Mm -hmm. uh, some people are just trained. Yeah, this is what dogs do. This this is how it should be. So if they don't get that indication, they're just going to move on. Yeah. And the worry is we've worked so hard improving the concept of dog in the UK. All it takes is a couple of people to mm. do a really bad job, and that's it. It's tainted the the entire absolute industry. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, so, yeah, because I can imagine that. Yes, I mean, uh, I'm sure you know, a, a, a fair few people could train a dog to, you know, uh, find, you know, find a, a dead bat or something like that, or find, a, find uh, you know, uh, yeah, indicate on something like that. But I suppose it's really, it's the consistency. They may do it once or twice. And are they, are they finding it because, you know, they've been trained to do that? Or is it because, you know, I say by accident, but you know, there may be a stronger sense somewhere else. And, you know, I suppose consistency and approach is, is something that may be a big concern. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something you just need to continue, continue, continue. And then you come across different species. And it, you'll guarantee a dog being a dog will want to eat that bat at some stage, mm. just out of mm. curiosity. So then what when you've got a dog that's walking around eating all of the bats and then you try and put your your hand in with gcn your dog goes and bites the gcn yeah. that would mm, completely mm. destroy everything that we've done um so yeah i mean it i mean it is a worry um because also people are then gonna you know how are they going to get hold of their target that their samples you know they, do they realize they need a license to keep dead bats um do they realize they need a license for great crest newts or are they just going to use swabs in which case their dog eventually will just get worse and worse and worse and be less efficient. And yeah, I mean, this is, like I say, it's taken so long to convince people that dogs are good. It won't take long to convince yeah. people that dogs are terrible. Um, and then that's it. It's all done. Sure. So um, yes, it is a worry, but I guess we'll have to ride this roller coaster and see where it goes. No, well, <laughs> so Rachel, trying to educate. Yeah, I, well, I think you're doing a fantastic job in terms of uh, actually being the, you know, uh, at the forefront, the pioneers of this um, sort of, uh, 
in this area, this industry, really. So I imagine that um, you know, in in hopefully in. A, in a few years' time, that um, you know this industry will be growing a little bit more. Um, yeah. Obviously, not too much competition. Obviously, you know for yourselves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, certainly, uh, uh, you know, sort of, you know, a, a sort of a reliant technique that we can use within yeah. our with our industry itself. Now, um, I'm very conscious of our time now, so I'm going to start to wrap things up yeah, uh, a little fine. bit. Okay, you, you've given us a great overview of um, of your company and, and yourself, and you know, how you train your dogs. So, can you tell me a little bit more for um, in terms of um, where we can contact you for further information, and um, yeah, and a little bit more about um, yeah, the sort of services you're currently offering. Okay, yeah. So, well, you can contact me. I'm on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, which I don't use very often, so don't use that. Um, on LinkedIn, um, but I've got my own website, so there's email on there. Um, and what's your website and, what address? Uh, www.horticonservation.co.uk, I think. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. <laughs> Here we go, I'm looking at it now, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and at the moment, bats, are, bat carcasses, bird carcasses is, is, is the main bulk of my work, so I've just finished my second season. Great crested newts will hopefully be ready next year, but mm-hmm. yeah. Bats and birds is mainly what I do at the minute. I've trained, I've imprinted on water bowl, but again, I wouldn't rush. I'm not rushing anything. So I want to learn a little bit more about water bowl because I'm not an ecologist. I'm yeah. not going to try to be an ecologist, but I, I need to have an understanding of the species that I'm looking for. Um, so we've got a little bit more work to do there. Um, but yeah, as of next year, great crested newts and water bowl should be up and running, but we will be testing for great crested newts. So we will be working alongside Atkins. And if those dogs aren't ready, then they're not ready. So it could be the following year then. So again, following social media, I will keep everybody up to date on where I'm up to with each with each sense and where we're going. And hopefully spring next year, we'll be able to actually reveal the secret project that we're working on. Oh, you're not going to do a hit? No. no. Yeah. no. Don't worry, you won't come well, out for ages, this podcast. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Will it not? <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, risk it. Don't risk honest, it. I'm- no. You I've been struggling t- so much to keep quiet because I'm terrible, <laughs> but it's all down to the um, the scientist lady. Uh, she does not want it to be disclosed, no. so I have to be good. Um, it might work, it might not work, but it's it's if it does work, it'll be incredible, hopefully. But we'll test it for that over the, in the January, February time. So, But then I don't know whether she'd want to release it then or whether she wants to write her paper then. We'll see. I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. But we might come across problems and it might be extended till next year because, again, we're not rushing anything. We want everything to be done correctly. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, well, I, I mean, I must admit, I, I do enjoy what, uh, looking at to your, the, the sort of posts you do make on, on LinkedIn. And those are the ones I see. And they look, you know, they look amazing. You know, just do some great work. And so, Rachel Flavel, thank you for joining me on the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. Excellent. (laughs) We go away. A good win. Thank you very much. Bye. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember... Learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.